Father in heaven, you are good. And hallowed be thy name. You are so good. We love you, praise you, worship you, exalt you, extol you, lift your name above all other names, for it is the only name that deserves to be lifted up. Jesus, help us as we open the Gospel of John. Help us as we study these seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Help us to know you, see you, fall more in love with you as we understand who you are. God, give us that understanding. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. There is no wimpy, wimpy, wimpy Jesus. There is only hefty, hefty, hefty Jesus. Big Jesus. See Jesus bigger than whatever tradition you come from, whatever church you were raised in, whatever mom and dad taught you. See Jesus bigger. We need big Jesus today more than ever. Last week we just walked through chapter 8 and Jesus said, with these four pillars behind him, still smoking from the great ceremony of the illumination of the temple where all the temple was lit up and all the city of Jerusalem was lit up. This is where Jesus stands and says, I am the light of the world. You're going to be blind if you don't see me. I am the light. And now we move into John chapter 9. The first thing Jesus does is he heals a blind man to really solidify the point that he's trying to make in saying, I am the light of the world. I'm the one who illuminates and can make blind eyes see. Of course, not everybody loves Jesus, which is why I started earlier in verse 31, walking through the end of chapter 8. Jesus says, the truth will set you free, and I am the truth. And if you don't love me, you don't love the truth, and you are of your father, the devil, who's been lying from the very beginning. There are people who don't love the truth. Why? Because the truth smacks. Amen? That's why the, come on, somebody. It's why this book is called a sword. It divides, it pierces. You know, I, don't, I just don't know why, but every time I sit with a young man who's sleeping with his girlfriend and I tell him to quit, he just doesn't understand why. But God has a way. He has a truth, and his way is the best way for human sexuality, for human enjoyment, for human relations. And when we step out of God's way, we mess everything up. We mess it all up, and we don't get the enjoyment that God wants us to have, wants us to experience. I had a moment last night just looking at my wife. I just, oh, I love her so much. She wanna squeeze her till her eyes pop out of her head. <laughs> I just love her. I want to be with her. She's all I care about. But you don't, you can't have. I mean, we've been married over 20 years. We've been together for much longer than you can't have what we have. 
Unless you trust the Lord and follow his way and his path. And then you, you wake up one day 20 years later and you just you love your life so much and you love your wife so much and everything's just so good. But you got to know the truth. you got to follow the truth. I'm telling you, some of you think there's a shortcut. Everybody, everybody's always looking for the shortcut. There's no shortcut to experiencing the glory and the blessing and the reality of God in your life. It's just the long, hard road. The long, hard road of doing what's right and working hard and going through every valley and climbing every mountain. And then one day you're just like, oh, God, it's so good. Because you've had those experiences. If you're in this room this morning, you're like, things aren't good right now with me. I promise you, keep your eyes on King Jesus. Let him light your way. His word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. You can know satisfaction. You can know joy and peace in your life. Just follow the Lord. Don't you just want to shake people sometimes? This isn't... Not hard, dummy. <laughs> we make it so much harder than it is. Jesus says, listen, truth is hard, but I am truth. Follow me and know truth. If you don't follow me, you don't love truth, and you're just like your father, the devil, the first liar, the first murderer, the first guy who tried to find every shortcut to do his own thing. There's a way to walk. The path is lit by Christ Jesus himself. Chapter 9, John. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now isn't this just like people? We got a guy who's been blind all of his life. He, did, he wasn't able to finish school. He was never an apprentice for his father. He was blind in the first century. Wasn't a lot of opportunity for blind people. Uh, someone in his family has carried this blind guy to the gates of the temple every day because the only thing this blind guy can do is sit there with a cup and ask other people to help him out of the generosity of their own hearts. That's what this guy's entire life has been. And Jesus and his disciples are standing in front of this blind guy and the guy is blind but he's not deaf. He can hear what is happening around him. And Jesus and his disciples are standing looking at this guy. And what do they want to do? They want to have a theological conversation about the blindness of this guy. When this guy's just sitting there going, oh, can someone just help me? Put an almond here so I can get a hot dog. Shout out to Nathan's. <laughs> what do people do? They, they want to talk about the 
situation instead of doing something in the situation. Well, Jesus does something for this man. If you're in this room and you know Jesus, he's done this same thing for you. And it's beautiful. But the disciples want to talk. Why is this guy blind? Was it his parents' fault? Where was the sin that caused this blindness to happen? And again, this guy's just sitting there. Can you guys stop talking and just do something? Verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. To which again, the guy's blind, but he's not deaf. He hears Jesus say, This has occurred that the glory of God may be displayed. To which the blind guy's going, Well, praise his name. <laughs> Thank you so much for the kind words, Jesus. Thank you that I have been able to make a contribution to the glory of God. But I'm still blind right now. And I'd like my contribution to be done with. Help me see. Verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. For night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he, underline this word, anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Isn't that just precious? He anointed. Here's what God did. And somebody came up to me uh, earlier after one of the services and said, I got a new name for a band, God Spit. It's <laughs> actually a pretty good name, right? Because this is what Jesus does. I mean, listen, if there were documentary crews like we have today, there would be a video called Jesus Gone Wild. I mean, what is happening here? Jesus spits into the dust of the ground and takes that God spit mud and he takes it and he, he, he anoints the man's face. He smears God spit mud into this guy's eyes. People all around him are going, why is Jesus so mean to this guy? The poor guy's blind. Jesus is a jerk. Rubs into his eyes. And then look what Jesus tells him. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Jesus spits into the ground, smears his spit mud into the eyes of a blind man, and then tells the blind person to go somewhere. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, John, can you grab this guy by the hands? Can you help him get to the place that I have told him to go? Nobody does that. No, Jesus just tells the blind guy after he anoints his face, Go and wash in the place 
where I send you. In the pool of Siloam, that fresh water uh, fed spring. It was fresh water for the entire city of Jerusalem. If there was ever a siege, you needed a, a pool, like the pool of Siloam in your city, so you'd have water to drink. It was precious to the people. Uh, in fact, there were myths and legends, the Bible tells us, that surrounded the pool that when the waters would trouble, if you could be the first to get in there, there you would find healing for whatever uh, ailment that you suffered from. This is where Jesus tells the blind guy to go. And let me ask you a question. How many of you feel like the blind guy in John chapter 9 this morning? You're blind. You need help. People are having theological conversations all around you. And, and the help you get from Jesus doesn't really feel like help at all. He just spits in your face and tells you to get there somehow on your own. Straw poll. How many of you are from Ackworth? Let me see your hands. If you li you've lived here all your life, we got one, two, isn't it funny, three? I mean, our church is in Ackworth and nobody's from Ackworth. How many of you are not from here? Let me see your hands. Most of us. What are we doing here? <laughs> Ackworth is like the biggest, most boring ball of nothing. We have a target. <laughs> How did we all get here? Right? God's doing a work. He brings people and moves people and, and gathers people. And it may feel like we're blind with mud in our eyes, but God is up to something. The blind man goes and he gets to the place where God has sent. And all of a sudden, the scales fall. The darkness is gone. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus has brought healing to the man born blind. And if you're in the room and you've met Jesus, you know what it means to move from darkness to light, from what is false into the the truth of who God is and what God is doing. This is who Jesus is and this is what he does. And you may feel like you're still stumbling around with God's spit on your face this morning. But keep moving, keep finding, keep going the place that God commands and see the only way that we can see through knowing Jesus Christ and him being the light of the world, making us walk in his light. Move with me now to John chapter 10, to the next I am statement of Christ, the third. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out, uh, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech uh, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
in the ancient world. Here's, here's the first. Two different people have come up to me today with a YouTube video of a sheep. It was the same video, two different services, two different people. Sheep are just, you just need to understand, sheep are stupid. This sheep is caught in a ravine, and this guy gets in there and, and helps the sheep out, and the sheep jumps up, gets out, and falls right back into the ravine. It's just, that's what sheep are. In one of my commentaries this week, it said, Sheep prove that the scientific understanding of evolution is not true. <laughs> because sheep would no longer exist. Everything hunts sheep, and sheep hunt nothing. There, there's no animal on the planet that a, a sheep can even hurt or attack. Sheep are so docile, and they're so stupid. They will walk. If, if they find themselves in a rut, they will stay in the rut and follow the rut, even if it's nothing but desert around them. There can be a rich, lush pasture right next to them. They will, they will stay in that rut. Isn't it funny? The Bible talks about us, the followers of Jesus, as sheep. We are going to get everything wrong we need somebody to take care of us and by God's grace next week we'll get into the the fourth I am statement I am the good shepherd he leads me beside still waters he he takes me into green pastures I will never want he takes care of me my favorite part of psalm 23 is when the bible says that he sets a table before me in the presence of mine enemies god takes care of his people when his people left to themselves would no longer exist in the ancient world if you lived out in rural areas if you're from the farm, every family living out there had a sheep fold. They would take large stones and they would build uh, walls that would contain the sheep. So at night they would bring the sheep in because, again, left to themselves, everything is going to eat them, harm them, tear them to shreds. I don't know if you've ever seen an animal that's been attacked by coyotes and you've just seen the mangled mess that's left. But that's what happened to sheep. No defense system, no defense mechanism at all. So what does the shepherd have to do? He has to build some walls. And when it's beginning, when it's getting dark, he calls the sheep and the sheep know his voice, so the sheep come to him. They know he's going to keep them safe, and they come into this, this large walled area that has no door. The shepherd himself, in the entryway into this enclosed area that they have created for the sheep, the shepherd himself sits in the opening with his staff, and that's where he uh, closes his eyes. That's where he sleeps that night. He stays out all night long as a door, protecting, the, making sure the sheep don't get back out and making sure no one else is able to get in. This is what the shepherd who loves his sheep does. Now, if you're 
city folk. None of us are here in Ackworth. You may think you're from the city. You're not. You live in Ackworth. But in the more city areas, lots of people in cities, but they would still have herds. Sheep were useful for wool, for meat, for sacrifices. So they would build one huge, every community, every city community would have one large sheep pen. And all the shepherds would bring their sheep in from the fields and they would all go into this one contained area and a, and a person would be hired to stand and to be at the door. It's important we understand the context of Jesus' words here. So there would be someone that, that acts as the door, that sits in the opening, protecting the sheep, making sure they don't get out and nothing else comes in. And in the morning, the shepherds, all the families would come back and something called vocal recognition. How many of you have animals? I got two dogs and I got a stupid cat. Now, the cat's the girls. Boys have two dogs, Cooper and Holmes. They're I mean, I hate them, but they're awesome dogs. <laughs> but no, you know, it's funny. No one ever taught me how to do this. I don't even know where I got it from. I don't know how it happened. But I make little sounds with my mouth. And the dogs know exactly what I mean. When I walk in, when I go home after this service, and my like, Cooper, Holmes. They know exactly what that means. I, I don't know how. I don't know where it comes from. I, I don't. I do it to my kids sometimes too. <laughs> they just know. Dad wants me. It's time to go. Well, shepherds in the ancient world, all the sheep of the whole city would be inside this sheep pen. And, and the, shepherd, the man hired to be the door. Shepherd would come and he would say, you're, you're, you're true. I know you. I know your family. I know you have heard in here. Right? The person at the door knew the shepherd, and the shepherd would then go, and all his sheep, whatever sound he made, whatever, some shepherds even knew every sheep and called them by name. But every sheep in that pen, the sheep that weren't, that didn't belong to that person, it's amazing how technologically advanced they were in the first century with shepherding these herds. Because the sheep, are the, that's not the noise. My shepherd, they just stay there. But all the sheep that belonged to the, the shepherd would, would come at once. Jesus says, if anybody is trying to get in another way than through the only legitimate opening... That person's a thief. That person is a robber. That person's intentions, their motivations are not good. They're, something bad is happening. Their intentions are to harm the sheep. But sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And this is when Jesus says in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here's who Jesus is. All the way back from Exodus chapter 3. Moses says, who am I supposed to say is sending me to deliver these people as a foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his conquering sin, death, hell in the grave through his resurrection. Who, who should I say is sending me? I am that I am. And now Jesus, ego in me, I am, I am is the literal translation in the Greek. I am the door. I'm the one who's built the walls. I'm the one who brings the sheep out from the open. I'm the one that puts them into the pen to keep them safe, to keep the wolf from destroying them and scattering their lifeless carcass Throughout the pasture, Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the one who sits at the opening. I'm the one that makes sure they stay in and safe and no one else gets in. Everybody else is a thief and a robber. I am the door. Now, I don't know where you come from or where you have been. Our church is so unique we got people in this room from, I mean, we got national Jews. We got people from uh, Catholic backgrounds. We got people from Wesleyan and Methodist backgrounds. Got a lot of Baptists. I keep making fun of you. You keep coming. I don't know why. I love you, Baptists. We got uh, people from Pentecostal, charismatic backgrounds. We got people from all kinds of Christian traditions that, that, that come and gather to open God's word together here at Four Points. And, and what I'm fixing to say next, somehow you've got, you've got to find room to make this fit in your understanding of who Jesus is. Because left to yourself, you are going to butcher everything. You're going to butcher your own walk with God. You're going to butcher your uh, relationship with your spouse. You're going to butcher your kids. You're going to butcher the church. You're going to butcher everything you put your hands to. I'll put up that Luther's to Christie prayer. You're the only service that gets this, by the way. I asked him in between. I was like, find that. I, I did it once before. Find it and, and put it up for me. There was a, a special room. Martin Luther was pastoring. So this is a Christie room, and it was, it was a small little office where he would pray before he walked out into his pulpit. This is Luther's Sacristy prayer. He prayed it every time before he would preach a sermon, before he would do any kind of public ministry. This was his written down, recited prayer. Lord God, you have appointed me as a pastor in your church. But you see how unsuited I am to meet so great and difficult a task. If I had lacked your help, I would have ruined everything long ago. Now, he's talking from the perspective of a pastor, but just, just understand, this is all of us in all of our lives, in everything we do. Without him, we are going to wreck this. 
Therefore, I call upon you. I wish to devote my mouth and my heart to you. I shall teach the people. I myself will learn and ponder diligently upon your word. Use me as your instrument, but do not forsake me. Oh, could this be our prayer every day? Do not forsake me, for if ever I should be on my own, I would easily wreck this all. This is who we are, and this is why this is so important. Some of you grew up the way I did, just constantly wrestling in your relationship with God, uh, ultimately because you don't trust who He is. You still have too much faith in your own self, in your own mind, in your own opinions. This is where we get legalism, trying to please him by following rules. This is where antinomianism comes from, outside of the law, licentiousness. It was probably called in most of your traditions. All of it comes from a a misappropriated gaze upon the person and work of Christ. I, I don't know if you got this last week, but I just started singing Come Now Fountain. Was that in this service or was that in... Anybody remember? Nope, don't care. All right, hungry, lunch, ready? (laughs) Beautiful hymn. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Ephesians chapter 1 says that's exactly what God has done. We have this picture of a, of a child and a father and they're holding hands and it looks like the child is holding on to the hands of the father. And in many ways they are. What sometimes we so often forget, it's actually the father that's holding on to the child. And his grip is strong. That's why he says throughout Scripture, my arm has not been shortened. My arm still reaches down and saves. We're dumb sheep. We're we're constantly falling. They get us out of the ditch. We jump right back in there as fast as we can. That's why Jesus, I am the door. And look with me at verse 27, 26, chapter 10. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never Perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Just so, when you're talking to that person at Starbucks that says, ah, Christians made up that whole Jesus is God thing, just take them right here. 
I am the door. The Father and I are one. Jesus knows exactly who he is. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus came to redeem a people by the will of God before the foundations of eternity. God the Father took a people and sealed a people. And in Christ Jesus, Christ comes. I am the light. I am the door. I am the bread. I am the good shepherd and he grabs through his work on the cross that great exchange all his perfection all our sin poured upon his shoulders he bled out to redeem us and now when he says it is finished we God's people sheep of Israel we are in the hands of Christ. And listen, not even you can remove yourself from the grip of his salvation. You don't have to lay in your bed every night wondering if he still loves you or if he's still good. See, that's how you get out of legalism. That's how you get out of antinomianism as well. Because once you see how good he is and how strong his grip is and how precious his grace is, you just want to keep seeing him. You don't, you don't let your gaze look to the left or look to the right. You just stay focused and fixed on him. He is the door. You are safe in his grasp. No one can take you from him, no one can snatch you out of his hands. This is what we call the perseverance of the saints. This is what we call complete and total assurance of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Why wouldn't you believe it? Verse 29 again and 30. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this service. Thank you for every man, for every woman in this room. Lord Jesus, may their hearts and minds be filled with the encouragement that comes from your gospel proclamation. Lord Jesus, we are lost, we are blind, we are deaf, we are dumb. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for opening our ears that we can see, that we can hear your truth. Truth from everywhere else, it's lies, it's thieves, it's robbers. But from your words spring life. From your mouth comes truth. May we believe it, Lord Jesus, and feel the safety and security we are meant to feel in the comfort of your embrace. It is in Jesus' name every Christian said.